Welcome to Fit Food Junkies, addicted to health. My name is Emily E, and I'm a certified group fitness instructor and personal trainer. We will not only talk about fitness and nutrition, but also explore how to build a strong mindset, have ultimate motivation, and how to live life to its fullest. Let's start on our health and fitness journey together. Victoria Garrick is a former Division I volleyball player and TED Talk speaker. She is a mental health and body image advocate who practices and preaches self-love and just being real. She is the host of RealPod and the founder of The Hidden Opponent. Victoria and I have the realest conversation today about body positivity, how to discover how to love yourself and feel more empowered, and talk about her mission in destigmatizing mental health issues in sports culture. We also discuss eating disorders, intuitive eating, self-love, empowerment, validation, and so much more. I present to you Victoria Garrick. Hey, hello, girl. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. And you're, you're in Wisconsin right now? Yes, I'm in Wisconsin, um, visiting family. I'm laying in my bed. I just, I also feel like I give my best interview. I am the best in interviews and I'm just really comfortable. And I just feel like we're just talking. So I was like, I'm going to lay on my bed and I really, that will, that will get me saying the real things. <laughs> we're having a pillow talk today. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Tell everyone about yourself. I've already said some uh, major points, but former division D1 volleyball player, that's just the first. And there's so much more that this girl has done. So take us on your journey. Oh, gosh. Um, Yes. Played volleyball at USC. That's where we met and just struggled with the pressure and stress that came along with that lifestyle, which kind of led me to my advocacy work for mental health and body image. And since then, I've been really grateful to share my story in various ways online and um, through public speech. So it's been super exciting. So exciting. So first, tell us about volleyball. And I know you've gone through a lot of anxiety, depression, binge eating disorder as well for that time in your life. You even gave a TED Talk on it. If you haven't listened to our TED Talk, just look her name up, Victoria Garrick, TED Talk on YouTube. And you will discover it. I felt like it just kind of healed me and throughout, there's so many things you relate to it. First, you talk a lot about the stress of being an athlete and what goes in day to day. And, you know, a lot of times you were saying, you even said in your TED talk, oh, I was, you know, 16 units. Sounds like it's not that much. But then you take us through your day and how you have to be at, before your games, you even have to be there four hours earlier. So that kind of stress, how were you able to deal with the stress of being an athlete? as a D1, not only regular, but D1 athlete at USC dealing with the stress and anxiety? At first, I just had no idea what I was about to be entering and what I was about to be a part of. I think when you're in high school, you're like, oh yes, I would love to be a college athlete. This sounds so fun and exciting. And then you get there and you finally see it laid out on paper, what you need to do to live this life. And it was very stressful. I remember my first day on campus at orientation looking at my class schedule and the advisor being like, can't take that, can't take that, can't take that. And just because my practice block was one to six. And so it was like, well, you're gonna have to do the 8am, you're gonna have to do the seven, the six o'clock class. And me just starting to really understand 
what my schedule was going to look like. And it was very stressful at first. Um, it caused me a lot of anxiety. I would say as I got older and was an upperclassman, I realized that I had to be okay with the ebb and flow of my life. So one day I might be amazing on the court and have a great game, but I don't do the best on the homework assignment, but I get to go to my friend's birthday party. Then I don't have the best practice, but I ace the test and I'm just going to have ups and downs. And that's kind of how I coped with so much going on. I love how you said that you just had to accept yourself and be okay with the ups and downs of your life. I think a lot of times with mental health continuously burgeoning, especially during this time, I think we sometimes feel guilty for feeling those lows in life, feeling depressed or having any forms of anxiety when we feel like we're in a really good place in life and people could look outside, look at us from an outside perspective thinking that we're doing great when on the inside we're not. So the fact that you're opening up about this, uh, especially as a person, that you can really relate to so many people who may from the outside seem like they have their life together, seem like they have it all, when on the inside, it sometimes feels like it's the complete opposite. So sometimes just accepting that it's okay to be down, it's okay to feel depressed sometimes, I think is really, really crucial to just accepting yourself and getting to that point of being okay to be sad sometimes. I think when people think about therapy and they think about just getting help, they think there's a stigma behind it. And you've almost created this voice behind it saying that there's no stigma. You know, I've gone through it. I've gone to therapy before as you have, and it doesn't mean that it's something that needs to be frowned upon. So how has that helped you through your journey dealing with mental health? I'm a very outgoing person. So it's rare for me to have something that I'm hiding from the world or that I'm not talking about because on top of that, I'm also super confrontational. Like I don't have elephants in the room. I I say what I'm thinking. So for me, when I was going through my mental health struggles, it was really weird at first to feel like I couldn't talk about something. Like I had to be ashamed of the eating or ashamed of, um, like I was ungrateful for, for having anxiety and I should be so excited to play on this team And as I went through uh, those battles, I thought, I can't believe that I feel so afraid of admitting what I'm really going through and what I'm feeling. And so when I realized that the stigma was that strong, that someone like me who usually doesn't have any secrets feels like now I have a million ghost skeletons in my closet, I really wanted to combat that stigma and speak out against it. And that's what inspired me to do the TED Talk. And I was very passionate, especially giving that speech about getting the message across about how severe that stigma really is. You even said, just because I carry it well doesn't mean it's not heavy. So I think sometimes we put on this fake front, whether you're in college or post-college, whatever stage you are in your life. And sometimes it's easy to just put on this fake smile, go throughout your day-to-day life when on the inside, you've dealt with depression, you deal with anxiety as so many of us have as well. And I think that's really interesting because you can't judge someone by the smile on their face. And I love how you also talk about Instagram and social media. And I was even, I was telling this to Victoria before, she is one of the rare finds you will find on social media where a lot of times it's it's addicting but it's an unhealthy addiction to be on social media where people feel they become more and more depressed because a lot of it is just backed up by 
girls looking unhealthy or focusing on diet or just like being so obsessed with this perfection, this perfection that's kind of can't, it just, you can't really reach it. She preaches about how you don't have to be perfect. And honestly, her page is so uplifting is one of the rare finds. So I, I just had it. What inspired you to inspire others through just kind of, you, you almost became, you've showed your vulnerable self on social media to uplift others. These are all great points. I agree with everything on top. And in regards to what you first said about carrying it well, I think that there's a misconception and people have a hard time really accepting and internalizing what they are going through because if you carry it well, if you can go to class, if you can show up to practice, we sometimes convince ourselves, okay, well, it's not that bad or I'm not that bad because if I was that bad, I couldn't get out of bed. If I was that bad, things would be, I wouldn't be able to handle it. And that's not the case. You can be going through hell. You can be really in a dark, low place and still get up and and, and get by. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where I felt like I was in my life. And I think it's very relatable that a lot of people just carry it well. And that does not mean that what they're going through isn't its own thing that deserves attention and is valid in the way they feel. So I always really want to help people understand that what you're going through is significant. It doesn't have to cross some line of you have to do this or you have to stay in bed this amount of days or cry this many times. If, if it's hard for you, that's heavy. And we have to acknowledge that. And then about your second point of what inspired me to be real on social media, I honestly spent such a long time being fake on social media. And it felt so inauthentic to me. It felt so wrong. And everything I did online was just out of seeking validation from others. And when I finally stopped doing that and not even trying to post things that were inspiring, I just stopped and I started posting me and what I wanted. Mm -hmm. That is when I actually saw more people enjoying my Instagram or caring about what I had to say. And I realized that they wanted that realness. They wanted me to be me. And that propelled me to take it to the next level and kind of built what I have. I think that seeking validation will only keep you trapped and you really don't need anything or anyone to approve of your self-worth. Someone told me this, that once you understand this, that you'll be set free. And I feel like that's what happened to you is you stopped seeking people's validation. You were set free and you were able now to begin your business and start really creating and making an impact on others who are going through a hard time through trying to seek validation from others. And I love your hashtag real post. She also has real pod on Instagram too. This girl is the realest you can find. You wanted to start these posts to kind of be real on Instagram. So if people haven't seen, let's say any of your photos or pictures, explain, just give me like a little snippet of kind of what you practice and preach. So the hashtag real post is really where it all started. I was on a vacation and by the beach and obsessing over the perfect bikini picture. And I spent hours trying to get this photo. I brought down a bathing suit for it. It was just a whole embarrassing experience <laughs> to get the best Instagram. Right. And in that whole escapade, my older brother was just watching me thinking, you're so absurd. And our brothers think we're absurd for being their younger sisters in general. But especially in this moment, he was like, you are trying so hard. This is so fake. And we had a conversation about it and he kind of just called me on the situation. I had not had someone I respected and looked up to really do that to me. And so it just changed 
I don't know why that one conversation really made me think, what am I doing? And the next day on this trip, I posted a no filter, one take photo of my Yaya. I'm Greek, so it's my grandma. And I, I, it was her birthday and I said, happy birthday. And I, and I, I put hashtag real post because to me, I was like, this is as real as a post gets. It's one take, no filter and exactly what's happening right now in my life. And from that moment on, I kind of started rolling with it. And at first it was a joke. It was me with pimples on my face or me and I tripped and fell hashtag real post. And then I started to build it out to be more of these what my body really looks like or how I really feel on game day or how I really feel when I'm out in front of people or getting ready for things. And it grew. And then when I was creating my podcast, what should I name my show? And there were different things. None of them just felt like me. And I even had some and I didn't love it. And then I thought we have the real post. How funny would it be if we had the real pod? And that's kind of where it all came from. I love the name. I remember we were brainstorming when you were thinking of a name. Literally couldn't think of a better one. It's awesome. And it really just aligns with everything you're about. So basically, like, you'll have a back-to-back -back picture posing from one angle, looking so good, which you do in both pictures, just saying. And then you'll just show a different angle. And it's just showing, like, the real raw you and how anyone else would be, how a different angle sucking in versus just like breathing and being our normal human self. So it's just like showing authenticity and showing realness. And that's just missing, I think, just in life. So what would you say to people that, I don't know, just, and, and listen, like we've all done it, we've all been there, but people that continuously like are trying to take pictures for the sole purpose of social media for validation. If they don't like something, the first thing is it's fine. I'll just edit it. What would you say to that person, which is a majority of girls our day and age? It's a race that you will never win. It is a pursuit to something that does not exist this perfect body, this perfect picture. And if we, if we really hone in on what the end game is for all these people who edit pictures, try so hard to, to be this person online, it is to be accepted and validated in who they are. And you will never be accepted and validated by 100% of people ever. Think, you can think of whoever you want to think of. There is someone who does not like them, doesn't think they're the prettiest, doesn't think they're smart enough. Any public figure that you might think, Oprah, people hate Oprah, Ellen, people hate Ellen, Obama, people hate Obama, you will never be loved, liked, and accepted by 100% of people. So you're never going to win that race. So instead, stop revolving and running around and trying so hard to get something that literally, I can't stress this enough, you will never get. And to me, it was realizing I'm never going to be the prettiest or the nicest or the coolest or the kindest to the world. Someone's always going to disagree. So I can just be that for myself. I can just be good enough for myself. And when I decided that I was the one who got to make that decision and be that judge, I realized I could be okay exactly the way I was. Hmm. And the second that you realized that, did you feel that your anxiety and your depression started to diminish. I was starting to develop all this for sure my junior, senior year. However, I don't think I really was fully, the best I felt was senior year. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of work to get to a place, like, like you said, it's not something that diminishes quickly. It takes time. 
Right. But when you slowly start to ask yourself these big questions, why am I seeking the validation? Who do I want it from? Am I going to get it? What mm. happens if I get it? And you start to become the decision maker in your own life. Mm. And um, it was gradual for me, but I definitely had huge changes to my mental health in general with all of these realizations and all of this work on myself. It's scary to put yourself out there. And if people just feel scared. I feel like once you bite the bullet and you do it the first time, it becomes easier. But that first step to just not care what people think. And I know that's just something that everyone says to truly feel it in your veins and not just not care whatsoever. How do you actually just not care? I wish I could say I absolutely don't care what people think of me, but I am human. And of course, of course I yeah. have times where I care and I do want to know what people think of me. But the big thing I'm starting to realize now, and it's really been hugely helpful for me, is this idea of being okay with being misunderstood. We so often try to explain where we're coming from, explain what we meant, convince this person we were kind, or we didn't mean this, or we are good enough. We want to be understood in the way we see ourselves. And similar to what I just said, we're never going to get to a place where everyone agrees with us. And no matter how much we explain, they're going to say, no, this, this, this. We see it all the time on social media with people saying, oh, I know what happened to that celebrity or I know why they broke up and they will never understand. And so I've been getting to a point where I am okay with being misunderstood. And if someone doesn't like me or someone doesn't understand or they need more and I have to realize it's okay. Like I know what my intention is. I know what I'm here to do. I know where I'm coming from. I know what I need. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to understand that. And so I almost forget what, what, what the question was, but I overall have been, oh, it was about people think of us. I've been very okay with being misunderstood. So like I said, people are going to think many different things. As long as you know in your heart that you are ABCD or whatever it is, then you don't need someone else to know that. Going off of that, I think it's a self-love journey. I think in order for people to accept themselves, they have to really just grow to love themselves no matter what, no matter what people think. And I know that's easier to say than to actually put it into action, but life is too short to waste the amount of time that we do sometimes about really caring about what people think of us. I also love how even in your TED Talk, you were talking about how you have a smile on your face and really on the inside, it's a complete opposite. And you were showing these pictures of some you were at in, at co in college or with friends and you would think that you are just living your life happiest person ever. Like you, everyone wants to be in your shoes. And you were saying how you crawled out in the back and told a friend that you saw someone when really you just wanted to just leave yeah. out of that situation. I remember that party. You go there, you don't feel pretty enough. None of the guys are talking to you. You feel self-conscious in your jean shorts. You're actually super stressed out and you can't even enjoy the party you're at. And then you take pictures and you're obsessed with posting one picture to make it known that you were there. And I mean, I just got so anxious in that moment. I was so unhappy. I just wanted to leave the party. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's very real. A lot of people want to portray that highlight reel or the life they think they should be living. And in turn, it makes you so self-conscious and insecure about the life you actually are living. Hmm. Well, there might not be nothing wrong with that life. I've been in situations before where I'll go out with friends 
And the sole purpose of going out for some of the friends that I went out with was to just take pictures, which of course I get at some times, but other times I think people forget to go out to actually have fun instead of to live their night behind a screen. Not at all. It's just not fun. And like I said, and that's not even where life is to be lived. One of my favorite quotes is, I'll look back on this and smile because it was life and I decided to live it. You really are the CEO of your own life. And I want to talk about food struggles. And I know you've dealt with this a lot in terms of binge eating. So take us through your journey, really struggling with your diet. I always was aware of what I thought a beautiful woman was. From a very young age, I idolized Victoria's Secret models, um, specifically Victoria's Secret models, their bodies, um, their faces, their hair, their skin. I wanted to look that way. And in high school, it was enough that I was the joke of my friends. Like, Victoria, like, knows all the models, watch the fashion, whatever. It It was not too severe, but it was definitely not normal at all. And... It's funny, I look back and I'm like, that was definitely a big problem, but we've normalized this obsession with being skinny and this obsession with what we're eating and this obsession with being pretty that we don't realize how absurd it is. We think it's just, that's how young girls talk is let's be skinny and pretty. And so that was my high school experience. And I was very aware of how I looked. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to college, suddenly my body changed immensely because I was training for three hours a day six, five, six days a week. And then I had a huge appetite that I was not used to. And I was consuming portions of food that I did not think were feminine. And it was like three times the calories I used to eat. So that caused me to want to restrict and stop eating so I could get skinny again and I could eat little and eat less. And when I did that, I ended up making food this forbidden, untouchable thing And that makes you want it, regardless of what it is. If someone says you can't have it, you're going to want it. So as my anxiety developed and school was stressful and I wasn't happy with my body and I was hungry and I couldn't have food, it was everything I wanted when I got home at night. And that started my cycle of binge eating. And it was a very dark experience. I mean, talking, we talked about being ashamed or not being honest about what you're going through. And the binging for me was by far the most guilty, ashamed, terrifying thing with my mental health battle. That was the one where even when I give my TED talk, I alluded to body image problems, but I was not even talking about it then. And I was already out speaking about mental health. So this was an extra thing that was hard for me to talk about. Um, And that was my journey with sort of the lower parts of that disordered disordered eating. And listen, I've dealt with a lot of that too. It's really, I think it's really interesting once you look back on it, they're the, they're feelings behind the food. So, you know, a lot of times when you, if you're listening and you're going through any sort of eating disorder, you know, there's an underlying feeling there. And I think that's something that you have to, you have to deal with that first, something that you have to face. We want, and I was just talking about this with one of my mentors today, we want something And we confuse that with a hunger. Think about it this way. You say, oh, I'm hungry to win. I'm so hungry to win. Or I'm I'm hungry for attention. I'm craving love. We, 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 I said we sometimes, we blur the line between what 
actually needing food to fuel our body is, and then these emotional wants of emptiness. So there's emptiness in the stomach and there's emptiness in the heart. And differentiating between the two is very hard. And I was certainly eating to fill that emptiness in my heart. And I really do believe there's a mind-body connection. It, it is interconnected. And yeah, when you feel empty up here and your, your stomach's going to feel empty and then you're going to be hungry for more and it's just going to be this vicious cycle. So going through that as an athlete and after graduating college as well, how have you been able to focus on intuitive eating, especially in the culture of our age with so much pressure? Intuitive eating was the absolute lifesaver for me and my food journey. I developed intuitive eating around my sophomore year of college. And I mean, my relationship with food just wildly improved when I was able to really dedicate myself to the intuitive eating. And I, I took to it very quickly. Um, I am someone that gets things done, quote unquote. Like if you told me to accomplish ABC task, I'm doing it and I'm going above and beyond. Other people are different. They might put, put it off. They might do it in pieces. Everyone's different. There's nothing wrong with that, but I am a get it done person. So when I discovered that this intuitive eating made so much sense to me, I was so in line with the principles and I was sick of dieting and sick of this unhappiness with my food. I just, like I said, took to the intuitive eating. And like I said, it was a savior for me. And I have been intuitive eating ever since. I think it is the best way to eat. I absolutely preach it on anyone who struggles with food. It has not been hard for me to keep up the intuitive eating. If anything, I think it's harder for girls who are on diets because of the pressure to eat quote unquote unhealthy food or quote unquote junk food. So intuitive eating for me has been really incredible. And I recommend anyone listening to this who's interested, check out Intuitive Eating, whether it is um, the book Intuitive Eating by Dr. Elise Resch and her partner who founded the principle or Janine Roth, who wrote the books that helped me definitely check it out. I loved your podcast with Janine Roth. I, oh, I literally yeah. love, love that episode. And I have to read that book to today about um, food. And we were talking about this differentiating between a hunger for an emotion or for actually food. It's understanding the difference. And so you're going to have times where you, you find yourself walking to the pantry or the kitchen and you might not even be hungry, but you're bored or you have nothing to do or you're lonely or you're sad or you're anxious about the conversation that's going to happen tomorrow. And you need to be able to understand what the difference is. And then you can make a decision. And we were talking about this today too. There's times where I understand I'm not hungry, but everyone is eating ice cream. It looks like it tastes good and I want a scoop. Sue me. I'm human. Like I'm not always going to eat when I'm hungry and I'm, we're going to emotionally eat. That's okay. I think the biggest thing I would say to anyone trying to work on their relationship with food is having awareness is a huge, huge win and a huge step in the right direction. If you can be aware that you're eating because you are sad, great. Most people cannot even have the process to think about why they're eating and then understand it's because they're sad. So sometimes we're going to eat because we're sad. That's fine. Like I said, we're human, but understanding what you are doing allows you to then be done with the food and think, hmm, did that help my sadness? 
did that make me feel happier? Did it give me what I wanted? And you'll slowly realize, no, it didn't. And then next time when you're sad, you can say, hmm, well, last time when I chose this, it didn't help my emotion. So mm -hmm. it's a process, but the awareness is so important. Yeah, it's interesting because after binging or after that feeling when you eat so much and you think you're going to you almost think you're going to cover up that internal feeling that you're striving to just get rid of and it's still there and you can't figure out why and even though you are so full in your stomach you feel them so empty it's this cycle where exactly what you're saying unless you that when you realize like it's okay if you're going to overeat and you're sad like it's okay as long as you're putting it together with the emotion like this is why I'm doing it yeah and i definitely for me, it was like, I feel incredibly full, disgustingly full, and I'm even more upset. So it's like, I've, I've made my emotions worse. And now my body is like in literally physical pain. I'm just very grateful that I was able to kind of break free from that cycle. And my heart feels for people who struggle with that. And that's why I do want to post what I post because I want to make sure they don't feel as ashamed and alone about it as I did, and also possibly provide some tools or resources that could be helpful. What are some tools that have helped you through your negative eating patterns that have allowed you to intuitively eat? Hmm. For me, a big thing is not having any restrictions. I cannot have any forbidden foods, any calorie counting, any limit, any this you can't eat, this you can't eat, that to me is triggering. Um, I don't even view foods as healthy foods and unhealthy foods because think about it this way. If you are told you can't have cake and candy and those taste good to you and you want to have it on your birthday, you're going to be sad on your birthday and that's your mental health and mental health is as important as physical health. So mm -hmm. sometimes cake is healthy for your mental health. So for me, any rules restrictions is an absolute no. Um, I even like when, when I'm living at home, even if my, like I need to have junk food and healthy food in the house, because if someone's like, we're not having any of that, we're only having this that's going to trigger my old thought patterns of why can't I have it? Why well, I want to have it. So a big thing for me that's helped is always knowing I can have anything whenever I want it. And as a result, I don't have everything all the time. Mm -hmm. I went to the grocery store the other day with the intention of you can buy anything you want and eat anything you want. And I left with two things because when I'm able to have it, it I don't want it that bad. That right there is so true because when you're on a diet, you feel deprived. And I remember someone told me this one time that they were going to therapy for an eating disorder and she, the therapist told her, go to the market, buy everything you want. I don't care how unhealthy it is, buy everything you want. She's like, what? Like, why? you know, why? Like, why would I do that? Like, I don't, I'm trying to lose weight here, you know? And she buys everything she wants. She brings it home. And at first she'll eat everything, get it out of the way. And then once it's still there, it's almost like you don't want it anymore because it's available. So it's almost like you don't want, you want what you, what you can't have the same kind of thing with, if you just let yourself go and get what you want, you'll actually eat less of it and you'll be just happier. And I love how you say why cake is healthy because in moderation, love that you're saying that too, because so many times that will dictate their entire day by having that one piece of cake. Right. It's just understanding that, especially with intuitive eating, maybe in the beginning, it's going to feel like 
the gates are lifted and you're loose and maybe that feels super out of control, but yeah, you might have the cookies, you might have the food, but after a while, if you know you can always have the cookies, you're going to want to get a salad. You're going to want to get some protein. You're going to, I crave carrots every single day. Um, and the things are going to fall into place, but because they've been kind of so out of touch for a long time, zoning in on what our body really wants when it can have everything is an adjustment. It takes time. Now, is this something that, is this something that you're still going through in terms of having a good relationship with food? Yeah, I have a very healthy relationship with food. I've had a very healthy relationship with food for a couple of years now. It's amazing. There is so much life to live beyond what you're eating and the calories and things and what you can and can't have. I mean, I used to wake up every day and all I thought about was what I could and could not eat and how my body looked. And that's an afterthought now. And there's so, like I said, there's so much life to live. There's so much more to think about than what you cannot have. So it's been really great. And I, like I said, being in this place in my life where I feel so liberated and free makes me want to bring every single girl here with me. Hmm. And you said, shout out to all the girls trying to love themselves today because that's hard and Mm -hmm. it is hard. It's so hard to go through that journey in your life. And once you've gotten there, you like, you feel this just like empowerment. So for people going through those ups and downs and those adversities to try to love themselves. And honestly, I think it's just like a daily struggle that you're never a hundred percent going to get there, but you know, all it's just trying to, to love there and get there and kind of like be your own best friend each and every day. So how do you love yourself, whether it's through eating or through just loving yourself if you have a bad day through anxiety or depression? I sometimes just try not to let myself even go there. So if I have days where like, I don't, I rarely look into a full body mirror. Like I put on the outfit, I look myself up and down. It's, it's buttoned. It it fits good. Brush my hair. I'm gone. Like I'm not about to spend five minutes standing in a full body mirror and looking myself up and down. And so avoiding little things like that has been helpful for me. It's just, where are you putting your priorities? Like, is your priority how you look? Are you prioritizing like good looks over all the amazing things you bring to the table? And so you have little choices every day in your life where you're going to choose to put your attention. And yeah, it's not easy to love ourselves every day. I don't love myself every single day. And so to the people who struggle with that, I would just say, you don't have to be at, I love myself yet. You can just be working on, I'm going to accept myself a little bit today. I'm just going to accept my legs today. I'm going to accept this thing today. You don't have to love it. No one wants to be forced to love something they don't love or they don't even like. So just start with acceptance and prioritizing other things. And I think slowly, you know, you start making steps in the right direction. Because I think it's also important when you talk about guilt, whether it's around food or around your body or not getting in that workout and that guilt just consumes you in every way possible, you focus on that. And the second you start to have different focuses in life and just higher hopes in life that are on a completely different spectrum, it seems as almost the rest just kind of falls into place because you don't pay as much attention to them. Where is your energy spent on yourself now that it's not spent on your body? My energy is now spent on my thoughts and the way I think every single day. I've been doing a lot of work on our ego voice and that shadow self part of us. And that's kind of where I've been reading a lot of books recently. A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle is incredible. That's a great place to start. 
And I, I think my, my now I'm waking up and thinking about how I can be thinking better. When is my ego speaking? Why am I insecure? Am I, am I being fully present and letting myself open to receive the true being of the person I'm talking to? Like you right now, am I creating judgments ahead of time? And so right now my work is kind of all centered on that part of myself. Mm -hmm. And in terms of just with my career and what's up with me, you know, I get this question a lot and this is usually not the answer people want. They love to hear, oh, well, my goal is X, Y, Z in three years and two days from now. My goal for the future is to wake up every single day and do my best to serve the people who support my platform and spread this message of self-love and self-acceptance. And if I do that to the best of my ability every single day, I feel very confident that in five years I will wake up and be in a good place. And so that is where I kind of keep myself sane and don't get caught up in a place down the road. It helps keep me present. It's just wake up every day and do my best and then stack those up. I love your mission. I sense your deep passion for what you do. And I really just applaud you for making this your life's work to wake up every single day with the sole purpose of impacting others' lives through mental health and self-acceptance. And that right there deserves an applause. And you're also the founder of The Hidden Opponent. And this is a nonprofit organization dedicated to just raising awareness about student athlete mental health, which I think is incredible. Can you just tell us about how you started that and what it, it, what it entails? So my TED Talk is titled Student Athlete Mental Health, The Hidden Opponent. And after I began the public speaking aspect of my storytelling and visiting so many student athletes on various campuses, I realized that there are so, so many student athletes who resonate with the story and have their own story to tell. And also I want to connect them with each other so we can have this community. So in creating The Hidden Opponent, I wanted to literally create that place and cast this wide net across all these schools I interact with to bring these student athletes together in a community where you can talk about mental health and feel uplifted and supported. We have over 400 student athletes in our Facebook group who all are in contact with each other. And the purpose of it is to help eliminate the stigma and raise awareness. She's been traveling pre-quarantine, pre-COVID, but every week she was in a different state. She was giving talks to different various universities and athletes about mental health. And it's so crazy that so many times, like, you know, all athletes, like you see this strong facade and then on the inside. It's possible to have a lot of built up anxiety or depression as an athlete. You even said, forget everything and run or face everything and rise. The choice is yours. <laughs> and course, I, feel, like I wish I said these amazing quotes you're mentioning, but I quoted people. Or, on the you quoted them, whatever. You quoted them. They resonated with me. You posted them. Same. <laughs> so I said them, essentially. <laughs> so you said them, basically. I felt, I felt the words coming from you. I love anyway, that one. <laughs> but it's, I love it Here. because you brought, yeah. like, you allow these student athletes across the country to be able to face something that they didn't even know maybe they had or that they could face. And I think that's an incredible gift to give, to empower others to face their own vulnerabilities to become stronger. 
Yeah, I love that. Fear everything and run or face everything and rise. What would be your number one thing to just kind of wake yourself up, snap out of it and put on like a real smile, not a fake one? Well, I am big on letting whatever emotions you're feeling surface and have their time to, to play out in your life. So when I wake up and I am not feeling happy or smiley, I listen to myself. What do I need today? Maybe I've had days where I woke up with a million things to do on my list, my agenda for work, and I just canceled everything. Nope. It's a Netflix day. It's a this day because I need to serve my feelings, especially in a time like this. It is, it is a universal trauma we are all going through, or not global trauma in COVID. I mean, the various ways it is affecting our lives, it's, it is super difficult. And I think it's important to be real with ourselves. And for me, I've been taking it as time to do the things I could not do before. It kind of felt like, you know, as sad as a lot of the effects are, it is a pause button. Like you said, I was traveling every single week to different schools and now I, I can't do that. And it's a nice pause to feel like I can stack and catch up my own life. Like these books I'm reading on the ego and, and the mind, I didn't have time to read before. So I'm just trying to do a lot of personal work, prioritize myself, and hopefully come out of this better equipped to handle the real world once it resumes. What's the book you're saying about the ego? It is called A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. <laughs> it is pretty, I don't say it's advanced. It definitely is. Anyone could read it, but um, it might be a lot to just dive into cold. So I recommend to anyone who's interested to check out the holistic psychologist on Instagram. She is absolutely incredible. She talks a lot about what he teaches. If you just scroll through her Instagram for like a few hours and start to take interest in what she's saying, she's the one that actually recommended this book to me. So her Instagram, once again, is The Holistic Psychologist. I also had her on my podcast. If you feel bored and you don't want to scroll her Instagram, you can just listen to that. <laughs> I love it. It reminds me, in the beginning of COVID, I made a video and I wrote a poem. And I ended with, how do you want to come out on the other side? It's up to you to make a positive impact on this ride. And the ride, I meant the ride of quarantine and COVID. But it really is up to you. And the way we impact others or reach our destination, discover our passion is to start with that personal self-development, work on ourselves first before we can really do anything else that we want to in life. Going back and finishing off to talk a little bit about diet culture, you reposted this quote, my number one diet tip is don't. That right there says it all says it all yeah, right there. Yeah, that one got a lot of flack, but whatever. I don't care. I said what I said. <laughs> I No, I love it. Victoria, I have my final question for you. At Fit Food Junkies, our motto is addicted to health. So what are you addicted to? I would say I am addicted to growth and becoming a better version of myself and constantly having conversations and surrounding myself with people who help me grow. Talk about, you talk about the quotes that I post that you like. Here's a good one. Nipsey Hussle said, if you look around at your circle of friends and you're not inspired, you don't have a circle, you have a cage. Hmm. You don't want to be spending your time with people who are not pushing you intellectually, spiritually, and making you better. And so 
I think I'm addicted to growth. I'm constantly thinking of ways I can grow, whether that's my platforms, myself, um, my knowledge, my relationships. Yeah, I would say I'm addicted to growth. We can never stop growing. I can tell you that. Tori, thank you for what you do, destigmatizing mental health and empowering others, making people feel good physically and mentally. It is a gift. And you will feel empowered and uplifted just by checking her out on Instagram at Victoria Garrick or her podcast called Real Pod. Thank you, Emily. I've had such a good time. I appreciate it. Dr. Maraboli says the only permission, the only validation, and the only opinion that matters in our quest for greatness is our own. And I'm going to leave you guys with that. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I really appreciated how much Victoria opened up to us about her struggles with mental health and how she's passionate about making and creating this indelible impact in the world to enhance mental health that is just continuously growing and growing, especially during this time. Check out Victoria's hashtag real post on Instagram at Victoria Garrick and let her and myself at Fit Food Junkies know how you will seek only your own approval and no one else's in your everyday life starting now. I am so excited that you guys are joining the Fit Food Junkies journey with me.